I'm Alex Sharfin, and this is the Momentum Podcast, made for empire builders, game changers, trailblazers, shot takers, record breakers, world makers, and creators of all kinds. Those among us who can't turn it off and don't know why anyone would want to. We challenge complacency, destroy apathy, and we are obsessed with creating momentum so we can roll over bureaucracy and make our greatest contribution. Sure, we pay attention to their rules, but only so that we can bend them break them, then rewrite them around our own will. We don't accept our destiny, we define it. We don't understand defeat because you only lose if you stop, and we don't know how. While the rest of the world strives for average and clings desperately to the status quo, we are the minority, the few, who are willing to hallucinate there could be a better future, and instead of just daydreaming of what could be, we endure the vulnerability and exposure it takes to make it real. We are the evolutionary hunters, clearly the most important people in the world, because entrepreneurs are the only source of consistent, positive human evolution, and we always will be. Learn to deal with the blur. I have always really uh, loved cars, ever since I was a little kid. In fact, you know, I think as entrepreneurs, we are physiologically sensitive, momentum-based beings. Our surroundings mean something to, our, to, to us. Our ability to navigate our surroundings means something to us. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to run as fast as I could and as far as I could until I figured out a bike. Then that took me as far as it could. And the first time I realized what a car meant, the level of freedom it got you, the level of extended power it gave you. You know, what does a car really do? It extends your ability to go where you want to go, to reach a new destination. I knew that I just wanted to drive. I wanted to be able to drive a car and drive it fast and drive it well. And I remember the first time I twisted the key it was like this connection to an extension of my physiology and this empowering feeling of like being able to go faster than I ever could on my own. And very early on, I became committed to learning how to drive a car. Now, I wasn't very good. In fact, I was pretty terrible. My parents will tell you I got kicked off of their car insurance. I totaled seven cars. I kept having accidents. I had a hard time driving. There was just a lot of inputs, and I wasn't as good as I wanted to be. And so I committed to getting better. And I started taking classes. I actually found an instructor. I started racing cars, learning how to drive on a track, learning how to manipulate a car, how to steer it with the, the throttle, how to put a car into a four-wheel drift, how to, to purposely lose control of a car and then regain control, and really understanding driving. And that has been something that has meant a lot to me. I really, I, I love getting into, into a car and being able to go out to a track and putting a car at and then just beyond its limits and bringing it back. That's when you know you're going fast. That's when you know you're really connecting. And I love that feeling. And a few years ago, I had this extraordinary experience during a track day where um, I was doing a charity uh, event and I had my Porsche out on the track. And uh, we were doing laps, and one of the things that we did in between our track sessions was the charity event had gotten a F1 car, a Formula One car, to come and do laps around the tracks, track with us. And I was, like, 
so excited because when you are a driver or when you are involved in motorsports of any kind, F1 is the pinnacle. F1 cars are they're they're the most sophisticated four-wheel machines on the planet. They they're more computer than car. If you turn them upside down and drive them on a road, they generate enough downforce to stick upside down. They generate g-forces in excess of four g's in some turns. I mean, the 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 drivers of these cars are human beings that operate at an entirely different level. Their reflex times, their their sighting times, their ability to react is just so lightning fast. It's incredible. And we were going to be driven around um, Circuit of the Americas in Austin by a Porsche-trained factory driver in a Formula One car that had been outfitted with two more cockpits. So to either side of the driver, there was an additional cockpit. And um, I can't tell you how excited I was. And just standing next to the car when they started it, like there was this physiological response to how insane an F1 car sounds up close. I mean, these cars do zero to 60 in under two seconds, but zero to 200 in seconds. And the amount of power they generate is just, it's incredible. And uh, that day, you know, people kept going out for, for laps with this, in, for one lap in this car, and it was impossibly fast. I remember, you know, I was doing laps and, and thinking like, okay, that's about how long it takes to get around this track. And then the first time the F1 car did it, I was like, I don't know if I would have been out of the third turn. And so uh, it came time for me to get in the car and do a lap. And it was the most intense experience. So first, getting into an F1 cockpit was crazy uncomfortable. I'm over six foot tall. Everybody is always surprised. I'm at ClickFunnels right now in Orlando, and everybody I meet says, oh, I didn't know you were so tall. So I'm over six foot tall, and I'm about 220 pounds. So I didn't just get into the cockpit. I had to like push myself and shove myself and will myself in. Um, literally had to like compress my shoulders to get in and then have them close in on me. And it was the most claustrophobic feeling in the world. And then the driver started the engine, and there was so much vibration in the engine. The engine's just direct mounted to the frame, and you're basically sitting on the frame in an F1 chair. There's no cushion anywhere. It's like you're touching everything, and it was jarring. And he went and pulled out of the pits, and I remember thinking, this car cannot be going this impossibly fast. Like I felt like it had punched me in the chest, and then... We hit the end of the pit road, and for those of you who aren't familiar with racing, cars have an electronic governor that keep them under a certain speed limit until you hit the end of the pit road. So what I didn't realize is the impossibly fast acceleration I had already felt was when the car had the governor on it. We hit the end of pit road, and it was like somebody pushed me in the chest and the face at the same time. The car went so fast, it was ridiculous. Like, literally, everything started going blurry. We got to the end of the first straightaway, where we had already gotten faster than I ever thought we would. Then the driver slowed down and took one of the tightest turns on the track, again, so fast that I felt like I was going to get thrown out of the car, but there was nowhere for me to go. And as we went through the turns and through the track, it was like there was this entirely new feeling to being in a car for me because I had never felt the level of acceleration that a, that car provided and the amount of G-forces the driver was able to carry through the turns. He was able to turn so fast and so hard that it was physiologically draining. And then 
we went at, through the S-turns at Coda, long S-turns, and then you get towards the end of the track, and the turn that you take onto the longest straightaway is one of the slowest turns of the track. And I remember thinking, at least I'll get to take a breath before going into the turn because the G-forces throughout the time we were in this car were so crazy. And then the driver went through the slowest turn on the track two or three times as fast as I had ever been through it. And then we went fast. We were on a long straightaway. And he went up to 120, 130, 140, 150, 160, 170, 180. We got into the mid-180s. And above 170, there was this crazy blur. Like, everything went blurry. I could barely read the dashboard when I looked over to see what how fast he was going. But looking forward, it was like the whole world was blurred. And it stayed that way down the entire rear straightaway until he slammed on the brakes, which made everything in my body feel like it was going to come out of my throat and then went through another impossibly tight turn at the end of the straight. And then we made our ways back to, back to the pits. And I remember thinking, like, how do you ever get used to that feeling of that intense blur on the back straightaway? Like, how could you possibly ever be okay with that? Like, I only had one lap in that car, and I was shaking it how hard it was to see clearly driving the car. And I thought, you know, you must get used to it. So I waited for a while. And the guy who took me around the track changed drivers. And I had actually chatted with him for a couple minutes before I got in the car. And, you know, he knew I was a driver. And so I had to ask him. I walked up and said, you know, hey, hey, I've, just, I've got a question for you. How long does it take before your eyes stop going blurry like that? Like how, you know, what, what, how does that stop? And he said, oh, it, it never stops. You just learn to deal with it. And I said, so when the Formula One drivers are out and they're going 205, 210, 215 miles an hour down that straightaway and they're inches away from each other, they're looking at that blur and, and they're dealing with that. And he said, well, I mean, you know, if you've done it for long enough, you learn to deal with the blur and you can just judge where you are. And I thought, like, that's incredible. But then for perspective, I kind of had to back away and think, well, I've only been down that straightaway one time in an F1 car. And of course, it was overwhelming because it was the first time I'd ever seen that blur. And I wonder how many times it would take me before I you know, could, could deal with it a little bit better or how many times it would, it would be less jarring. It might feel easier. And then the next time I was out in my Porsche that day, I actually went as fast as I possibly could on the back straightaway, really wound it out. And I realized, you know what? Even in my car, there wasn't just a blur. There was a bit of a, of a vibra vibration throughout the whole car, but I've been on a track in it so many times. I know that car so well. I don't even really feel it, but I bet you if anybody else was sitting in the car, they certainly would have registered it. And it really it reminds me of business. Because business is the exact same way, except for in business, there is no top speed. See, 
I love F1 and I, I, I follow the sport because I think F1 is like just, it's the pinnacle of motorsports. It's also some of the most incredible drivers in the world. They maneuver these cars in impossibly tight situations and with G-forces that would challenge the normal person to just be okay, like not lose their lunch. And they do it for hours at a time in, in ridiculous weather and with a level of precision that is unreal. But even F1 cars can only top out at around 220, 225 miles an hour. Businesses just keep growing. And as business owners, we learn to deal with the blur. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that because here's what happens with each new growth stage of business. What lies in front of us looks really difficult, but what's immediately behind us that was previously really difficult now feels easy. And each new level of growth we reach in our business, we reach a new level of vulnerability, a new level of exposure. If we don't, if we aren't there, if we're not feeling that, we're not doing it right. But you learn to deal with the blur. And I watch this myself with my friends and their businesses. You know, when, when someone first starts out, if they have a problem or a customer return or a challenge or anything like that, you know, it's, it can be devastating. When you first start in business, the first, in fact, for most of us, the first client that we ever got, the first client you ever got, that client probably at one point or another, or another made you cry. I know it happened to Katie when she was a real estate agent. She actually worked with a friend of mine. It was the first client she ever had in her life in any type of business. And he had a really like, he was really upset one night at everything but her, but she was still so upset by the phone call, she cried. A few years after that, she could take three or four phone calls like that in a row. In fact, I'm pretty sure she took two of those phone calls, not while she was pregnant with Reagan, but while she was in labor with Reagan. Finally, the midwife and the acupuncturist that were there had to wrestle her phone away from her because she was just going to keep taking calls because it was easy for her at that point. She had learned how to deal with the blur. And you look at most entrepreneurs, like something like a lawsuit, it would throw us off like crazy. Like, I, I can't stand getting certified mail. Every time I get certified mail, I'm having heart palpitations. But I have friends that have entire legal departments because their businesses are constantly being sued. When you have 90,000 people working for you around the globe, you're going to constantly be sued. When you have teams of tens of thousands of people that are putting their hands on people, moving people around, doing things in the world, you're going to end up with challenges and issues. But at that point, when you have a 10-figure company like some of my friends do, you get used to issues that would cripple the average business owner because you get used to the blur. And here's how you use this for yourself. You have to realize that if the next step that you are taking feels like it's going to be big and it's massive and it's major and it's hard, good, because the next one's only going to be bigger. Because as business owners, we've committed to a life where it doesn't matter what goal we set. As we approach it, it loses importance to us. So we have to continue to do more and to be more and to expose ourselves in a new way and to be in a, a new level of vulnerability while we build a team and grow an organization around us. And in order to do that, if you're feeling vulnerable or exposed, you're doing it right. And the more transparent you can be about where you are, the faster you'll be able to build a team around you and learn to deal with the blur. 
one of my clients, Natalie Hodson, who is, um, she's just incredible. She uh, is an incredible speaker. She spoke here this week at ClickFunnels. She is an amazing author and um, thought leader. And she wrote a, I mean, this number still freaks me out. She wrote a ebook, $37 ebook, and off of organic traffic that she um, created on Facebook and a following she created on Facebook and then growing her funnels, she was able to make over seven figures with an ebook with one person on her team. Like, that's just crazy. And when Natalie and I first started working together, she was having a hard time with the idea of building a team. You know, like like me, Natalie's an introvert. And, you know, a lot of exposure to a lot of different people for introverts like us, it's really hard. But over the course of the last few months, we've been working together and step by step by following a process, she's learned to deal with the blur. And I'm so proud of her because she went from not knowing if she wanted to grow a team to going from two people to over 14 people. And she's spending 80% less time managing the team and managing the business so she can focus on what makes the business grow. How did she do that? You put the right process, you put the right systems in place, and you learn to deal with the blur. So as business owners, when somebody tells us they can give us a pain-free business, when somebody tells you they can give you a self-managing company, when somebody tells you they can put your business on autopilot, you got to be suspect of those people. Because the fact is, you don't want any of those things. You want to be an adaptable, malleable growing and contributing leader that builds a business that can deal with the blur, that builds a business that can deal with market shifts and market changes, that builds a business that can deal with competition, that builds a business and a team that can deal with anything that comes up because you build an adaptable culture where everyone learns how to deal with the blur. If you're an entrepreneur who's building a team and you're ready to grow it faster and you're ready to stop wondering about what the right decisions are to make next and definitively create a plan that will move you forward and have the forward planning system that will stop you from being a bottleneck in your organization, go right now to billionairecode.com. That's billionaire with a B, billionairecode.com. Fill out the short survey there, and we will give you information on exactly where you are on the billionaire code, what you need to do next to grow your business, and we'll also be in touch to help you scale and grow your company. Billionairecode.com.